Welcome to NVC Life. I'm Rochelle Lamb, veteran NVC trainer and relationship coach, helping listeners navigate interpersonal conflict and ground more deeply into relational living. Greetings, fellow humans. Today, I'd like to explore the topic of safety. It's a word that people use fairly regularly in uh, their relationships, close relationships, in public discourse. So I thought it'd be useful for us to have a look at it. Safety is recognized certainly as a human need, and it's one that deserves some attention. So let's just begin with breaking it down into two different types of safety. I think we could agree that there's a need for physical safety, which is distinctly different from emotional safety. And in both cases, when a person doesn't feel safe, this does impact the the brain. It impacts our physiology. So I'm speaking here about the limbic system, the amygdala, the fight, flight, and freeze response. And so when we don't feel safe, that gets activated. And let's just imagine that we're talking about uh, physical safety. If our physical safety is threatened, that system gets activated. We're able to flee the situation if that's possible or to fight back and defend ourselves. So what's happening in that situation is that the blood is being redistributed and it's going very quickly to our muscles, to our extremities, so we can take action. And this same system gets activated when our needs for emotional safety are not met. But emotional safety is nuanced. And if I look at it in terms of children and the requirement for emotional safety, again, I think that listeners would recognize and agree with the fact that we want to do our best to care for the emotional needs of children. Now, children do need guidance and support. Children do misbehave and they're, they don't believe they're misbehaving at the time, uh, often, but they're, they're, there's a level of naivety and so they're learning. And it's useful when you have good caregivers and adults in their midst who are able to support the learning without doing harm to the child's self-esteem. And so that's distinctly different from an adult. I had come across a book many years ago titled Undefended Love by Jet Saris and Marlena Lyons. And this was released, uh, was published in the year 2000 by New Harbinger Publications. I recently picked up the book and I'd like to share a couple of passages with you because I I find it incredibly rich and I think it helps to support really deep discourse on the matter because all too easily when someone in a relationship where there is no violence and there is no escalating towards, we'll say, emotional abuse, that sometimes a difficult conversation has no chance to develop and deepen into something that would enrich both parties. It's too easy for one or both partners to simply pull away and say, I don't feel safe. And then that ends the conversation instead of a deepening into, well, what is that about? 
what is it inside of me that is being so activated in this moment and is so threatened, despite there not being any real threat, there's some part of me that is defended and frightened and is not willing to explore something that resides outside of my comfort zone. So I'm going to share the first excerpt from this book. The process of self-discovery has nothing to do with safety, comfort, or control, which are goals of personality-centered relationships. To the contrary, we purposely put our self-concepts and personal views at risk to know ourselves below our conditioned personalities. In this intimate way of relating, we strive for self-realization, not self-preservation. Realization of our essential self, not preservation of our defended identity. In the service of authentic self-expression, we take full responsibility for our behavior, patterns, reactions, and beliefs. We stretch ourselves so that we are uncertain as to what we will discover in the process. I love that last line. We stretch ourselves so that we are uncertain as to what we will discover in the process. And we all know that that's a hard place to be. Given the choice between uncertainty and certainty, most people choose certainty. So it's a real risk to be able to have conversations that move us outside of our comfort safety zone. I'm going to skip to another section in the book, which is under the heading Committing to Unilateral Self-Exploration and Disclosure. And in this, the authors speak about reciprocity, which is a need that people often refer to, especially in their intimate relationships. If our partners aren't reciprocating, our minds and hearts want to react with such notions as, it isn't fair. The truth is, it isn't fair. Our capacity for undefended contact, however, is developed only when we shift our focus away from maintaining a balance of power and give our undivided attention to personal inquiry and responsibility. The results may not be immediately apparent, but in time we not only deepen our capacity to relate fully, we free ourselves from our bondage to the past and from needing others to relate to us in a certain way in the present. Instead of trying to balance the power between us, we achieve an inner sense of balance and stability. Rather than use our energy to maintain reciprocity, an uncompromising commitment to unilateral self-exploration and disclosure frees us to examine the underlying need for reciprocity itself. When we explore our fear of being taken advantage of or feeling helpless, we see that the only authentic power resides in making peace within ourselves, no longer depending on our partners to behave in a way that maintains the status quo. We find that our sense of safety is grounded in our ability to respond openly and fearlessly to any feelings that may rise in us. I'm going to repeat that one. No longer depending on our partners to behave in a way that maintains the status quo, we find that our sense of safety is grounded in our own ability to respond openly and fearlessly to any feelings that may rise in us. 
when we can emotionally stand on our own two feet intact without reference to what our partners are doing or giving. We are finally able to relate to them as they are, not as we require or wish them to be. Only then can we objectively measure what is available in our relationship and whether it is satisfactory. I find this incredibly useful because so much of our attention uh, working with uh, significant others has to do with getting them to be a certain way instead of building our own resiliency and learning how to balance ourselves, learning how to tolerate distress, and also learning how to actually speak about what goes on inside of us. Let's look at an example. We'll take a married couple who are having a challenging conversation with a counselor. And at one point, one of the persons is saying to the other person that they really appreciate something about them. So this is a a genuine disclosure of appreciation for the other person. And the other person responds with, I don't believe you. Now, this actually happens. I've worked with people and this does occur. Uh, You may have said it yourself. You may have heard it. Your partner might have said it. So the person says, I don't believe you. But if we were to really go deeper into that, what is really happening inside of the person when they say, I don't believe you? How about instead if they said, I'm afraid to believe you? Because there's fear inside of there. And part of it has to do with, I can't take it in because taking it in brings up a lot of fear for me. Uh, Perhaps they've experienced uh, some infraction as a betrayal of some sort. And there's a fear of simply being vulnerable before this person because I'll get hurt. The chances are, yes, probably not right now, but because we are frail human beings and because we carry an unmetabolized childhood and past and former experiences with us, we don't know these things about each other. It's only through relating that we come to know these things. And it's only through, oops, I stepped on that place inside of you. But we don't want to be walking on eggshells around people ongoingly or ever, really. Ideally, We want to be able to develop the internal courage and strength to speak our experiences as faithfully as possible without attributing blame to others. That's just such an easy place to go. I'm going to go to the next excerpt. Some of us carry a deep pain about not feeling right or valid in our perceptions, needs, and feelings. Rather than addressing this inner conflict directly, we have been taught to seek agreement from others to validate or sustain our own internal reality. Thus, we rely on our partners to agree with us so that we will feel secure enough to allow our view to unfold. What happens when we don't see things in the same way? Even if we intellectually grasp the concept that perception, reality, and truth are relative to our orientation to the world, in relationship, we often hold an underlying belief that if we have divergent experiences, we must either give up our point of view or reject our partners 
so as not to face the discrepancy. Instead of authentic accord, this attitude is intolerant of a separate or contradictory reality. The capacity to sustain our view of reality in the face of a divergent one while remaining in relationship until an organic resolution is reached is one of the cornerstones of an undefended partnership. Sustaining our own view is not the same as rigidly defending our position as right. It is a mature capacity to investigate both points of view with equal vigor and dedication, with the realization that there is a third more encompassing reality yet to be known. I really love that. It is a mature capacity to investigate both points of view with equal vigor and dedication, with the realization that there is a third more encompassing reality yet to be known. So you see how if we were simply to say, I don't feel safe, we actually don't get to reach this place. So in fact, we remain defended and we remain trapped by our insistence that our way of seeing things not be challenged in any way. And yet when it's challenged and we're willing to speak honestly about our view while the other person speaks about their view, when this is well done, there is this place that we reach, which is the third more encompassing reality yet to be known. I think it's very rich to really examine and question our need for safety. When you are speaking about the need for safety, what is it inside that feels threatened? What is it that is actually underlying the desire to feel safe in that moment? And what are we losing by virtue of pulling away from the conversation in those moments? I'm going to return to this subject in a future episode because I think it's so rich. So, again, the question. When you say you need safety, what part of you is feeling very threatened? And is it something that you'd be willing to explore? And is there a part of you that is not able to emerge or not able to take a risk because of that requirement or because of that insistence for safety that is perhaps not closely examined? I invite you to consider these questions. Thank you for tuning into NBC Life. For future episodes, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. For free resources or to book a private session with me, head over to rochellelam.com. Until the next time, stay sane, grateful, and generous.